In the beginning, there was darkness, and God created light. We saw his face illuminated, and we knew him. But then, as sin entered our hearts, we turned from him and plunged ourselves back into darkness. Our view of God grew dimmer and dimmer as we fled further away. We lost sight of his true character. The God we once saw shining bright in majesty became hidden from us by the lies we surrounded ourselves with. But even in the darkness, our God is in control. Even through our questioning, our God is ruler over creation and unchanging amidst our confusion. He is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth, infinite in understanding. And we are blessed when we seek his face. Our love is deeper when we know the God of eternal love. Our worship is sweeter when we recognize the holiness of the author of life itself, when the lies and the mystery fall away. We know the truth about God. Well, Cornwall Church, it is good to be with you, whether you're here in the building in Bellingham, uh, watching online at our campus in Skagit or in Boca. If we've not yet met, I'm Brian Mengel and our, our campus pastor in Skagit. You've joined us in week four of our series that'll lead us up to Easter called The Truth About God. As we uncover God's attributes and do our best to understand all that we can understand about him. And so far, we've looked at his self-existence, the reality that God is everywhere at all times, uh, that he knows everything there is to know, that he has ultimate supremacy, authority, he has all power, and that God lacks nothing. And as we unpack these varying attributes, it is critical to understand that God's attributes operate in conjunction, not in isolation. They work together in conjunction, not separate. And that's counterintuitive for our brains because we default often to silo thinking. Think back to your high school days when we revert to if-then truth assumptions. Like if someone loved to play football, then the assumption was they probably weren't very smart. Or if someone loved theater, they loved drama, that the assumption was they probably weren't a good athlete. And in the times when someone was both a 4.0 student and also the team captain, we were shocked with disbelief, as if the stars had to align because they were the exception. Well, that's exactly who God is. He is the exception. He is the straight A valedictorian and the captain of the football team. God's attributes operating simultaneously in conjunction occurs in a way exclusively only in a way God can. In other words, God being all-powerful does not diminish his ability to be all-knowing. And God operating with all authority does not lessen his ability to be omnipresent. This is another reason why God is uniquely God. No king, no dictator, political, historical figure, no God that has been presented to our society has ever matched our God's state. No one can ever sustain the goodness and perfection in all areas at all times 
like our God does, period. You know, we could end the sermon right there, actually. And with Pastor Bob back next week, after three weeks gone, he probably could use the time. But we're going to move along because there's so much to unpack here as we continue to build on the resume, if you will, of our God and his attributes, today we look at the sovereignty of God found in his wisdom and his faithfulness. An attempt to define God's wisdom is to say this. God's wisdom is complete, absolute, and infinite. Complete meaning there is nothing to be added to what God knows. It's absolute, meaning God's wisdom is final, and it's infinite, meaning there's no end to the wisdom that he can or does possess. Romans 11.33 says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How impossible is it for us to understand his decisions and his ways? His capacity for wisdom is unlimited. I mean, think about your gas tank. As you drive around Whatcom and Skagit counties, the fuel in your tank depletes. And at some point, you have to put more fuel in the tank. Well, as God dispels wisdom to you and I, it does not affect his level of wisdom. Now, pause for just a moment. Because two weeks ago, I stood on this very platform and talked about God's knowledge. And you might be thinking knowledge and wisdom. Well, same difference. And while they are similar, they are different. You see, remember, the the knowledge of God speaks to him all-knowing all things before there was anything to know. He's never learned anything new. He is the author of knowledge. God's knowledge speaks to him knowing everything there is to know for the grand expanse of time. God's wisdom, then, are the moments when he puts that knowledge into action. Think about it this way. Last summer, my family and I went down for a day to Seattle and found ourselves on the Seattle waterfront and decided to grab uh, some clam chowder at Ivers. Now, if you've been to the uh, waterfront Ivers, you know there's a giant dock on the back. And on this particular day, there was a huge number of, uh, of visitors. And, and, and for this particular reason, I don't know why, but they were fascinated by the seagulls. All these tourists with bread flying, seagulls diving, it was a feeding frenzy. And I'll never forget what the guy next to me, who must have been a local, what he said to me. He said, knowledge tells you the bread will bring the gulls. Wisdom tells you, you better wear a hat. <laughs> There's a difference. For the parents in the room, your childhood, your adolescence, your successes and failures built into your knowledge. And now that knowledge fuels your wisdom for your kids as you parent your children. Your knowledge, that personal knowledge, gives you the ability to tell your kids, it's more than just because I said so. It's because I have the wisdom and experience. I've been there. I've done that. P.S. They still won't listen to you. You see, for us, knowledge feeds wisdom. For God, knowledge and wisdom are independent attributes that complement and coexist at the same time. Now, how can this be? God's wisdom is complete, absolute, and infinite because he can see the big picture and the intricate details simultaneously. Simultaneously at the same time. Think about the last suspenseful movie you watched. It's easy to put together all the pieces at the end of the movie because you and I need the big picture to do that. 
God's wisdom is founded in his ability at the exact same moment to fly 30,000 feet above the forest and also be in the detail at the base of the woods. Job would write this, for he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. In Proverbs, we read this, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. The good and the bad and the furthest points of existence God sees and God knows. And that knowledge coupled with his wisdom tells us every action of his is perfect. God's wisdom in our world, in our politics, in our bank accounts, in our career paths, in our relationships should give you comfort. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, says this, Wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. As such, it is found in its fullness only in God. He alone is naturally and entirely and invariable wise. He is alone wise. It's only found in God. And some of God's attributes, I don't know about you, but seem really, really big. But for this one, it's really comforting to me. See, God has perfect knowledge and an ability to exercise a perfect wisdom. As students in the class of life, we've got the smartest guy in the room in our corner. And without telling us all that he knows, he knows the syllabus. He knows when the pop quizzes are going to be. He wants us to know that he's in our corner. He wants us to succeed. And he wants the best for us. So how is it then that we can access God's wisdom? I think first, it's a shot to our ego. Because what that means for us is to become wise is to become a fool. To become wise means we must become foolish. A command that might seem contradictory is actually all that God asks for us for access to his wisdom. Now let's be clear. God is not asking us to become thoughtless fools. It's taking a while. Some of you are going to get this at lunch. Okay. He's not asking, she just got it. God's not asking us to become thoughtless fools. Instead, he's asking us to intentionally become humble fools. This command is spelled out through Paul's writing as he writes to the church at Corinth. It says this, stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you're wise by this world's standards, you need to become a fool to be truly wise. This command written some 1,900 years ago remains timeless and relevant today. Paul is saying by the world's standards, or you and I might say by society's standards or culture's standards, it's been determined that wisdom is only attained through specific benchmarks. A college diploma, success, prominence, financial status. But see, wisdom is much more than just accumulated knowledge. You could have a string of degrees in your office and still be unwise. It's God who levels the playing field when it comes to our wisdom. He's the game changer. So in actuality, it's the fool who chases after God's wisdom over the world's wisdom. Paul's clear. He says, stop deceiving yourselves. As if to say, are you kidding me? Get over yourself. Who do you think you are? To be truly wise, to gain wisdom from the wisest of all, we have to end our thinking that prominence and position will get us there. Now, please do not get me wrong. 
For the CEOs and the CFOs and the company founders and those with PhDs and the valedictorians in the room, do not hear that I or Paul are downplaying, degrading, or diminishing the value of a college education or the significance of a high-profile position. That's not what's being said. But it is critical what is being said to us. The question is, from whom what, or from what are you ultimately relying on for your wisdom? Pastor Kip mentioned this last week, the challenge to examine your heart, to see from where are you garnering your wisdom from. To be wise means to be a fool. And yes, that might mean becoming a fool to your employees, to your family, to your non-believing friends. But hang in there. Embrace the peace that as a child of God, the access you have for perfect wisdom is complete, absolute, and infinite. And to access this wisdom, God makes it unbelievably simple. He says, if you want wisdom, we must ask God. That's it. Two words. Ask God. Proverbs 2.6 says, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. The Lord gives. It's another indication of his generosity. Our generous God wants to share his wisdom with those that want to seek it out. And James will give us a little more direction, a little more clarity when James writes this. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. It's almost comical that he says, if. It really should be when. When you realize you are lacking wisdom, then do this. Then ask God. And then we get a little insight on God's posture back to us. It says, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. God is simply saying, if you want wisdom, just ask. I mean, don't you wish it was that easy with your boss? Oh, you want to raise just ask. You want another week of vacation? Just ask. You want a new position, a raise, and the corner off? Just ask. I mean, don't you wish it was that simple? It's not reality, though. But the truth is, with God, it is. And he says, keep asking. Ask me over and over and over again, and I will not find fault with you. I will not be exhausted by you asking me for help, for wisdom, for insight, his willingness to hand out wisdom is more than generous. It's more than philanthropic. It's more than helpful. It is simply unrivaled and unparalleled. It blows my mind that the God of all, the most powerful, the most knowing, the perfecter of our faith, is so willing to give of his wisdom. Psalm 19.7 says, The instructions of the Lord, or the wisdom of the Lord, revives the soul the decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The bottom line is this. Knowledge is acquired by man. Wisdom comes exclusively from God. So ask yourself, from where, from whom do you get your wisdom? It's one of the most beautiful and incredible attributes of God. You know, God's sovereignty is also weighted by this eternal unconditional faithfulness. Since 1834, the United States Marines have earned a reputation as being one of the most elite fighting forces in the world, always ready to help out and protect U.S. interests around the globe. 
Now, synonymous with the Marines is their motto, Semper Fidelis, which means always faithful. Now, Nathan Scott, who attends our Skagit campus, served our country for nine years as a United States Marine. I asked him, what does this mean to you? Here's what he said. A Marine will do their part on mission no matter what, remaining faithful even to the end. I asked another Marine veteran. He said the same, adding this. Semper Fi is more than just a motto. It is a lifestyle. It's a paradigm shift. It means I am faithful to my fellow Marines whenever, wherever they need. The Old Testament word for faithfulness is related to truth or stability. So simply, God's faithfulness is constant, not conditional. God's faithfulness is constant, not conditional. You and I, we are conditional beings, whether you like it or not. You might be faithful to Coca-Cola, but if you go to Hagen today and Pepsi's on sale, there's a chance you're going home with some Pepsi. Or you might be faithful to a particular TV show every week, but if that show's content goes outside where you're comfortable, you will reconsider watching that show again. Our faithfulness to things is conditional, but God's faithfulness does not depend on his mood or his emotional capacity or how the day went. God's faithfulness is consistent. It is without interruption. It is without variance. God is steady. Steady. Now, that's a word I would describe for this guy. This, as you probably know, is Pastor Randy. Now, there's a lot of words that could describe Pastor Randy, like husband, father, grandfather, counselor, singer, and Mariners fan. Maybe like you, he fondly remembers Ken Griffey Jr.'s first at bat in the kingdom, that line drive home run over the left field wall. He remembers Randy Johnson with that first no-hitter in Mariners history. He remembers great names like Martinez and Buner and Olerud and Wilson and Ichiro, that unmistakable voice of Dave Niehaus. And how could you forget the 1995 season? But that was 25 years ago. To date... The Mariners have had 14 winning seasons and 28 losing ones. They've made the playoffs just four times, and they're now one of two teams to have never gone to the World Series. According to a report, the Mariners' home game attendance is now the lowest in Major League Sports history. That's baseball and football and basketball and hockey. And while the numbers have dwindled, there are still the few proud and faithful, and Pastor Randy is one of them. And so I asked him the question, we're all thinking, why? He told me, he said, baseball runs deep in their family, and he's a baseball fan, and he's a Mariners baseball fan. So win or lose, Pastor Randy's faithfulness to the Mariners is constant. It is not conditional. And that faithfulness will have him and Pam and their family at spring training or games throughout the year or a knowledge of the roster and who's been traded, wearing that Mariner's shirt and hat on game days and the ability to walk around the office and say, did you catch the game last night? Because you know he did. It means through the ups and downs and more downs of the Mariners' season that Pastor Randy is unwavering in his devotion. And just the same, 
This is the truth about God's faithfulness for you. Because even when we wander or defiantly go astray, God is devoted to and for you. Second Timothy, in 2 Timothy, Paul would write this. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. I'm going to read that one more time. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. What a powerful truth about God. In other words, no matter if or more like when, we do something unfaithful to God in the relationship, in his unfathomable sovereignty, he exercises a faithfulness that is not affected. Charles Spurgeon would explain it this way. The glory of God's faithfulness is that no sin of ours has ever made him unfaithful. Nothing interrupts God's faithfulness to us. We cannot get in the way of God's faithfulness. And because God is faithful, he holds up his side of the relationship, even when we don't. Now, that does not, does not give us a free pass to intentionally make choices that test God's faithfulness, knowing he'll always be there. But for the Christ follower, this should give you an assurance that when we do mess up, because we will mess up, God's right there with the same grace, the same forgiveness, and the same faithfulness. You see, God's faithfulness means a couple of things. Number one, it means his words are true. God's words are true. In other words, whatever God speaks happens. The word of God is his bond, his connection to us. A.W. Pink would write, he never fails, he never falters, and he never forfeits on his word. You know, growing up here in the Northwest in the 80s, you might remember the name Jack Roberts. He was famous for wearing farmer coveralls and getting pied in the face in the final seconds of his TV commercial. But it was his catchphrase that had people believing in Jack Roberts and coming to his store over and over again. In the final seconds of every commercial, he would say, I won't be undersold. It was his promise. It was his guarantee. People believed his words were true. His claim that if you came to Jack Roberts Appliance, you would get the best deal in the Northwest. And people came over and over again. Because at our core, people want to believe what people say. Our heart wants to trust, but our brains get suspicious and convince us, well, there must be a catch. And so we go throughout our life with a slant of suspicion. Well, here's the great news. God's faithfulness means his words are always true. 1 Corinthians says this, God will do this. Why? Because he's faithful to do what he says. David would affirm the same thing. He would say this, the Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. God says what he means and he does what he says. And because of that, he is trustworthy. Throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament with Jesus, and still today, God's faithfulness shines and continues to stand the test of time. Bottom line is this. What God has said, take it to the bank as everlasting truth. He means what he says. He says what he'll do. That means that God's words are true. Number two, God's faithfulness means our trials have purpose. Our trials have purpose. 
One of the times that we are most tempted to doubt God's faithfulness is when suffering enters the scene. Life isn't always rainbows and unicorns and cotton candy. Sometimes it feels more like we're standing in a thunderstorm with no end in sight. In fact, I would guess there are those in this room, those watching online and at the Skagit campus, that have been holding onto an umbrella and desperately wanting the rain to stop. Perhaps you've even asked questions like, God, why is this happening to me? God, do you even care? God, are you even here? Let me first say this. God made us as emotional beings. So these feelings show our reliability on God. You wouldn't cry out to a God you didn't believe was there. Let me also assure you, yes, he does care. He cares a lot. His caring of you is second only to his love for you. And yes, he is always with you. Remember, a couple weeks ago, we talked about God's omnipresence. He's always with you everywhere at all times. No one, no space can escape the presence of God. And while I can't stand here and explain to you the why, believe this, whatever it is you're going through, it has a purpose. I'm not pretending that what you're going through is not difficult or confusing or soul-crushing. But what I am saying is because of the faithfulness of our God, his devotion to you means there's a reason behind your trial. James reminds us of this. He says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. I've gone through trial. This verse did not make it easier. But God didn't promise us easy. He did promise us faithfulness. And trials are made bearable because he is faithfully with us. The Bible is chock full of men and women who face trial and face challenge, but in the midst of it chose to stand and endure the test. And no surprise here, God showed up. Gideon is one great example. You likely know the story. God chose Gideon to lead a battle against the Midianites. And just as he assembles the army, God says this, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast about against me. My own strength, you have saved me. Now announce to the army, check this out. Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. He goes on. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Some quick math. The Midianites started with over 130,000. Gideon started with over 32,000. Until God began reducing those numbers, and 32 became 10, and then 10 became 3. And then we see what happens next. Gideon and the hundred men that were with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. Just after they changed the guard, they blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. And when the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their own swords. Believing God's faithfulness means our trials have purpose. It's why Gideon pressed on. Trials demand endurance, coupled with a belief that God is faithful at all times in all situations. We see another great example in the Old Testament 
of trial with Joseph, Jacob's son. Those that knew Joseph would say, yeah, he's one of the good ones. Honest and compassionate and caring and highly devoted to God and his family. And although he would ascend to leadership, it wasn't an easy road to get there. In fact, it was full of trials along the way. Left to die in the desert, sold into slavery, wrongfully accused of adultery, banished to prison. One trial after another, but God was faithful. And fast forward to the end of the story, Joseph stands before his brothers. They have no idea it's him. He reveals himself in this way. It says, come near to me, please. And they, the brothers, came near. He said, I am your brother Joseph, who you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me. God sent me before you, before you to preserve life. It was God who sent him for a purpose. He goes on, he says this, so it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Our trials have a purpose because God's ever-present faithfulness. So don't lose heart. Don't give up. Be mindful of this great promise declared in the Old Testament that still remains true today. Deuteronomy says, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave nor forsake you. God's faithfulness means trials have purpose. Finally, God's faithfulness means his promises can be trusted. God's promises can be trusted. And you and I live in a world of broken promises. And I fear that we've almost become immune to being shocked by that fact. You know, just shy of a contract signed in blood is the second highest of all promises. The pinky swear. Now, the pinky swear, they believe, was originated in Japan. This idea that two parties coming together, linking pinkies, means that the unbreakable oath and agreement has been made. And the pinky swear, so serious that if one party were to go against the agreement, they'd be subject to having their pinky cut off. You're welcome. Now, I don't feel like we need to do a quick pinky check in the room. I'm guessing that as many times as you've entered into a pinky swear, you've also gotten yourself out of it. You've broken that commitment. This, once again, a reminder that we might be made in the image of God, but we are not God. His promises are forever true. And his promises become unwavering. They can be trusted in Hebrews, it says this, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. I love this word, unswervingly. He's saying, do not be distracted. Do not be derailed. Believe in this. Our hope is rooted in a faithful God and his faithful promises. This is evident throughout the Bible, but maybe most famously with Abraham and Sarah. God promises them a baby. But instead of an appreciation, Sarah ends up laughing, cackling with a little bit of sarcasm. And God responds, saying this, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? 
God's promise. I will return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. The promise made. We read this and we can't quite believe Sarah's reaction. This is the wife of Abraham. Who would dare question God? But before you cast a stone, consider how often have you done the same? You know, question God's provision, his presence, his peace, his direction, his comfort. Yeah, me too. We might be more like Sarah than we'd like to admit. We go back to this account and what happens about that same time next year? We see this. The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he promised. She became pregnant and she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time God had said it would. Promise made, promise fulfilled. God is faithful to his promises. His promise to be a refuge for those that are weary and those that are burdened. His promise to give power to the weak and strength to the powerless. He's faithful to his promise to supply your needs according to his great riches. His promise to provide a peace, a peace nothing of this world. His promise to save those that love him. And a promise that nothing, nothing can separate you from him. Corey Tenboom would say this It's in God's faithfulness that lies our eternal security. In God's faithfulness lies our eternal security. We are safe in his faithful promise that he's got us. So let there be no doubt, God's promises are true. So whether you're riding the wave of goodness or you're in the pit of despair today, be confident God's faithfulness is with you. The prophet Jeremiah understood this all too well as he would write out lamentations. He was all over the place emotionally, felt angry, sorrow, depression. He felt empty. And despite all that, he would write this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Notice the first three quarters are all facts. God's love, his mercies are steadfast. They're constant. They're endless. They don't skip a beat. And the last quarter of his verse is all response. Great is your faithfulness. All God is, who God is, is the epitome of faithfulness. And this passage would inspire Thomas Chisholm, a Methodist pastor turned insurance agent, to write a poem after giving his life to Christ at the age of 27. That poem would become lyrics, and those lyrics would be given a melody in 1923. And that simple poem inspired by the faithful work of God would get national and international attention as Billy Graham would start to use that song, that poem, on his crusades. And that song we still sing today. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Verse 1, speaking to God's faithfulness revealed in his word to us. Verse 2, speaking of God's faithfulness revealed in creation, guided by God's faithful hand to create and govern all that's around us. And verse 3, reminding us of God's faithfulness revealed in our lives, that he pardons all of our sins faithfully. 
that he fills us with peace and assures us of his presence. He gives us strength and hope and blessings too numerous to quantify. The chorus says this, great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. I would learn recently that this song has a special significance to our senior pastor, Bob Marvel. In fact, I invite you all to join us in Skagit on Wednesday. It is our monthly refuge service, a night of worship and prayer and communion. And this particular refuge, I'm going to sit down with Pastor Bob one-on-one in a rare one-on-one interview. No question off limits. We're going to talk about his decades of ministry, the lessons, the journey, and why this song, Great Is Thy Faithfulness, has a particularly special meaning to Bob Marvel and his faith journey. I hope you'll consider joining us in Skagit on Wednesday at Refuge. Craig Rochelle, pastor of Life Church and the champion of the Global Leadership Summit, said this, if God has done what you think he should do, trust him. If God doesn't do what you think he should do, trust him. If you pray and believe God for a miracle and he does it, trust him. If your worst nightmare comes true, believe he is sovereign. Believe he is good. Summary for this, trust God. Believe in his sovereignty, wisdom, and faithfulness. And say, proclaim, you are good. The truth is God is so far outside our league and yet he wants nothing more than to be with each one of us. He wants to be for each one of us and simultaneously his attributes make God very big and also very personal and remind us how he is so for you. And not that God has a single thing to prove, but only because it's in his nature, God's constant and consistent and unconditional faithfulness shines in every word, in every trial, and in every promise, reminding us again and again God's wisdom and faithfulness are worth trusting. God's wisdom and faithfulness are worth trusting. God's wisdom is unmatched and unlimited. God's faithfulness provides us with a devoted dependability. So whatever challenge or trial or disappointment you're facing, even in this moment, be reminded God's promises, they are true. That our God never changes. That God knows you personally and he is wise and shares that wisdom with you. He will not leave you his compassion and his love will never fail you. God's wisdom and faithfulness serve as the foundation for our hope so that we may always, always declare more than just good, God, great is your faithfulness, Lord, unto me.